Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon, and for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. It's kind of like what I expect to see at a lot of the churches where I speak. Whenever I stand up, people leave. <laughs> there they go. How about let's give a great big yay God for all of those kids right there. You ready? One, two, three. Yay God. Yeah. I'm grateful to be here with you. For those that I haven't met, my name is Kirk Bradford, and I was here uh, as lead pastor to church for 26 years, and now I'm your missionary to other churches and other pastors uh, that the ministry, it is a kingdom ministry of this church to uh, minister to other pastors and other churches. And so uh, I appreciate your deploying me to do that. That's a, I love it. It's a great thing uh, to be able to do. It's kind of interesting. Uh, Joe, um, uh, Joe uh, called me earlier this week. I was supposed to speak in a church in the upper part of the state uh, today. And I got a call on the way, actually to, on the way to, to meet with another pastor in Greer in the Greenville area. And uh, I got a call from the pastor that I was supposed to speak. And he said, listen, I got the dates wrong. And so I need you in August, not this Sunday. And I said, well, that's fine because I haven't been able to go to church you know, just go to church in a long time, so I will go. And I'm speaking somewhere the next five Sundays, all, almost up to September. So I said, well, that'd be great. I'll have the day off. Within an hour, <laughs> Joe called, and he told me about, you know, obviously the tragic death, not tragic death, but kind of expected, but it's all deaths are tragic, of Terry Files' pastor. I mean, his father, rather. And so Terry is, uh, that funeral is taking place today. And so Pastor and Joe and them are supposed to be, which I celebrate. And so he said, look, I need you to, to fill in. And what I figure is, there must be a list somewhere. Here are possible fill-in people. James, you're on there somewhere, I'm sure, buddy. But there's this list of possible fill-in preachers. And all of them said no. And so... Uh, that's all he got. And I told him, I said, well, are you in a series? He said, yes, I am. And I said, well, what was the scheduled topic for Sunday? He said, desperation. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's really, he says, he says uh, I'm desperate, so will you fill in? I'm thinking, well, that's the only way I would get called is if you're, is if you're desperate. So I, I appreciate that. If you've got your Bibles, open them, please, to Luke chapter 18. I want to look today at an example uh, from the scriptures of someone who is desperate, who uh, in the thinking of Joe, that they collided, that is they connected with Jesus at some point in their life. And what they did after they collided or connected with Jesus literally transformed their life, all of their life from that point on. Uh, and the guy that this happened to was a fellow that was desperate. He really was a desperate man. So we're going to read in Luke 18, uh, verses 35 through 43. And it is in your, your worksheet. Do you see your worksheet there in front of you? Do you have that? What I want to do today is I don't want to read to you. I want us to read together. Okay? Read, read together out loud. Don't read it fast. You ready? Here we go. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me?
Our Father and our God, it is not by chance that we gather here today. For you have intended to gather your people. And so we have simply done what we know is the best thing for us to do for our lives. And that is to gather with other people who confess Jesus is Lord. So today, as I have prayed so many times in the last few days, I pray, O Lord God, that your word will find fertile soil, tilled soil, ready soil, in the hearts and minds of every person who is in this room or every person who may watch it on the Internet. God, I pray that your word would bear fruit that remains. I pray, O oh Lord God, that any of those who might be here today perhaps in, have either experienced desperation or maybe are experiencing right now or, or not even aware that they will in coming days. I pray that the words that I bring from you would be a teaching, that it would be planted deep in their souls, not just so that they could hear a talk, but rather that they could hear from your spirit. Holy Spirit, we submit to your authority and power in our lives. And I confess, Lord, unless your spirit moves, it's just a man talking. So please, Holy Spirit, take my preparation and my prayers. Take the preparation and the prayers of the people who are seated in this room. Take the praise that we have sung about. Take everything, Lord God, and use it for your kingdom purposes. That's what we pray, and we pray it in Jesus' name, who taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a fascinating story. The, the whole chapter is really pretty fascinating. It starts out with a, a widow who was persistent, uh, asking. She was desperate for justice. Uh, then it goes to... Uh, um, a tax collector that was at church and uh, he was desperate for mercy and forgiveness and those sort of things and then it goes it talks about some mothers that were bringing their children to Jesus to just that he would just touch him touch their children and then it just continues on in talking about a rich young ruler who was not desperate he just came a kind of out of curiosity saying uh, what do I need to do and Jesus kind of challenged him. But then we come up on this man. This, this story, it's not a parable. It's an actual event from the life of Jesus. It's told in Matthew and Mark as well as in Luke. In Mark, they tell us the man's name. Does anybody know his name? Bartimaeus. You ever heard that name before? You know, it's a popular name now among millennials. That's a pretty weak laugh. I thought I'd get more than that, you know. So his name was Bartimaeus, which literally means son of Timaeus. When you see the word bar before somebody's name in the Bible, that means son of. And then it'll be like Simon Peter was Peter Barjona, which means son of John, which means that Simon Peter's real name was Peter Johnson. My grandmother's was named Mabel Johnson. So I'm directly descended from Simon Peter as far as I'm, I'm concerned. But anyway, Bar Bartimaeus is the guy. And Bartimaeus has found um, that the only way he can survive is to sit on the side of the road and beg. He's blind. And oftentimes that's all they could do. Their family would try to take care of them, but most of the times they had to resort to, to begging. And Jericho is, if you're coming from the northwest part of Israel, you go through Jericho to go to Jerusalem. So what better place to beg than where uh, travelers going to Jerusalem to the temple were going to go worship? 
So on their way to church, what better thing to do than to help a poor blind man? And so Bartimaeus was pretty strategic at where, where he was. And he sat there and he had been there probably every day. That's what he did was sit there and beg. Alms for the poor, alms for the blind. Help me, please. Some helped, some didn't. But then when Jesus came into town, a crowd gathered around him. And the crowd is moving with him. And as, as Jesus is moving on the road there in Jericho, the crowd is moving with him. And they're making a lot of noise because some of them are calling out to him. Some of them are trying to reach and get to him. And remember the woman with the issue of blood? She snuck up behind him to touch him. Other, everybody's crowding around Jesus. And we don't know whether Jesus is teaching and they're crowding around or whether they're just yelling, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. But Bartimaeus hears the noise and he says, what's going on? And somebody says, I love this phrase, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Isn't that a great phrase? Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. How many times have I ever been in a situation where that phrase comforted me? Jesus of Nazareth is passing by and not only that, lives in me. So Bartimaeus heard Jesus? Are you talking about that Jesus? See, this is like the last year of Jesus' public ministry. And he is on his way to Jerusalem to die for me. He is on his way to Jerusalem to die for you. He is on his way to Jerusalem to die for humanity, for the sins of all mankind. But still, he's slow as he's going. Bartimaeus says, is it that Jesus? Is, is it that Jesus that healed all of those lepers? Is that him? Is, is that the Jesus that has healed? Lord only knows how many blind people. Is that the Jesus that raised somebody from the dead? Is that, of course I know, Jesus! Jesus! Have mercy on me. But he calls him son of David. And that's important. Because see the Jews thought that one day a Messiah, a Savior, a Deliverer would come. And restore them back to their former glory. See when David and Solomon were around they were one of the most mighty nations on earth. Powerful nation. But when Solomon's reign continued and grew, the more successful they got, the more they walked away from God. Sound familiar? And eventually God allowed them to be taken into captivity and they were ruled by multiple countries, multiple nations, Assyria, Babylon, and now Rome. And so the, tithe, the idea was one day God would send somebody to save us and he will be a direct descendant of David. So when Bartimaeus is saying, son of David, that was his literal confession of who he thought Jesus really was. This blind beggar. Son of David, have mercy. Well, the people that were between Jesus and Bartimaeus, the people that were in front of Bartimaeus, they turned around to him and said, will you be quiet? Shut up. Now, he doesn't really tell us why they said that. I, you know, I have a bad habit. In the, and some of you, if you have this habit, tell me, raise your hand. Uh, in the absence of a story, I make up one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I figured it, it, it might have been that they were just figuring that he was just a marginal citizen of Jericho. That, or it may have been they wanted to put their best foot forward. So they brought all of the, the, you know, the rock stars out. And they didn't want Jesus to see this guy. It's kind of like when politicians go to a town and they don't show them the poorer areas. They just take them to the nicer places. It could have been that. So they turned around to him and they rebuked him for yelling to Jesus. You know what's interesting is about uh, 20 verses earlier, up in verse 15, these mothers that brought their babies to Jesus, the disciples rebuked the mothers. And Jesus corrected them. So here's two instances of people bringing somebody to Jesus and, and people are saying, no, get back, get back. Babies. And a blind man named Bar Bartimaeus. So Bartimaeus did not do what a very polite Western citizen would do. He did not say, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'll be quiet. The Bible says he cried out all the more. And what's interesting to me is that in the first verse where it says he cried out, Jesus, there's one Greek word. 
But in the second place where it says he cried out more, the first word is like the word shout or yell. You know what the second word literally is? Scream. He screamed. Why did he do that? He was desperate. And he knew that Jesus was the answer to his desperation. So he screamed. Wait a minute. You, he's here? Now, that's who that is? The guy? Yes, sir. Back here. Back here. Yo, Jesus. Back here. Wouldn't you do that if you were blind and your only hope was walking by? And you knew you were destined to spend the rest of your life sitting on the side of the road begging from somebody. Wouldn't you yell? Wouldn't you scream if you had to? Oh, Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And then the Bible says that Jesus stopped. Literally, it's Jesus stood still. Just stood still. And he turned to his disciples and he said, bring him to me. And they brought the man. And then it was an interesting phrase. Some people say, uh, duh. <laughs> I think you missed a point. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Now, in those times, it was very likely that people who had some physical disability and were forced to beg had some way to express what the disability was to encourage people to give. So if a person had lost the use of their legs, it would be normal to have, have maybe a crutch laying there or to have the broken leg where it could be seen. Blind people would very often tie a cloth around their eyes to indicate that they couldn't see. Things like that. So it's not that um, Jesus didn't know. What Jesus was doing, I think, Kurt's opinion, I think Jesus was saying, what do you think is your greatest need? What do you think is your, your desperate for what? Did you want me to give you some money? Did you want food? Maybe. What is it you're desperate for? Bring, bringing Bartimaeus to focus. See, Bartimaeus was uh, acting desperate. Jesus was trying to get Bartimaeus to focus. Desperate about what? And Bartimaeus said that I may recover my sight. And that, that word recover is an interesting Greek word because it could mean that he had it and lost it or it could mean that he never had had it. Either way, Jesus said to him, recover your sight. He spoke the word just like God the Son, the second person of the Trinity in the book of Genesis said, when let there be light and there was light. Jesus said, recover your sight and he recovered his sight. And then he said an interesting phrase. He said, your faith has made you well. Now, I have some dear friends and brothers that are in other denominations that they believe what this means is that he had so much faith that he was healed. That's not what I, how I interpret it. I think the amount of your faith is not as important as the object of your faith. If you have a lot of faith in a rock, it won't do you any good at all. But if you have faith as small as a tiny seed in the God of the universe, the Almighty God or His Son Jesus then miracles are entirely possible. So he was healed. His faith. His faith in Jesus. He brought his desperation to Jesus. And he was healed. And the interesting thing right after there, there's a little phrase in here. It says in, in verse 43, immediately uh, he recovered his sight and followed him. Now that's not, a, that's not the, the literal, I think I will walk behind Jesus. I mean, that, this is a metaphor for discipleship. What it means is he became a disciple of Jesus. Now, the reason, one of the reasons I, that I think this, I mean, it doesn't say that in the text, but I think it is because most scholars will tell us that when you read the stories in the New Testament that are stories of healings or things along those lines, that whenever they name the person, that what that means is that person was probably well known in the early church and in the early Christian community. So, so Mark named him Timaeus, which means that he's not just a person who walked behind Jesus. He became a disciple of Jesus. He might have been there when Jesus was crucified. He might have been there uh, on one of the days when Jesus appeared 
He might have been there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. He might have been there on the day that several thousand people were saved. We know Timaeus was no longer, he went from being a desperate, blind beggar to being a disciple of Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe. The Lord of the universe. Now, when I read through these stories and everything, I, I, I kind of read scripture, you know, obviously, as you can see in your notes there, those exhaustive blanks that I gave you to fill in. What I really think is, what did God say to you and what are you going to do about it? And so I kind of think in terms of what, so what, and now what? And when I look at this text in here, I see, now here's a desperate man. That's the what. And so what about it? What it kind of shows me is that desperation produces results. When you're desperate, there are going to be results one way or the other. You know, I looked up the word desperation online. I used to have this thing called a book. Any of y'all seen those? They're, it's old. They don't have them anymore. But it's, uh, you look, I looked online to see what uh, Webster said that desperate is. Desperate is having lost hope or having no reason to hope or moved by despair or employing extreme measures in an attempt to escape defeat or destruction or suffering extreme need, need or anxiety. Any of you ever been anxious? It's entirely possible to go from anxiety to desperation. You know, it works that way. My thinking is this, Kurt's opinion. There will be times in any and everybody's life when they become either hopeless or on the way to hopeless and maybe even desperate. Sometimes being frustrated can lead you to be desperate. You know, you want something to change so much that you become desperate. Uh, I, I can tell you, when I, when I watch the news, I want something to change so much that at times I'm, and I'm, I'm bordering on desperate. I'm bordering on giving up hope, that it, anything like that. Or sometimes I get desperate because I want somebody else to change. And they don't seem to be changing any, or God has to remind me that I don't have any authority over those other persons. You know, or, 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 or sometimes, it can, sometimes you can get desperate about minor things. For example, I am desperate for Carolina to win a ball game. <laughs> have mercy, son of David. I'm desperate to see less traffic on Dorchester Road. At times I'm desperate to see political parties quit fighting. Sometimes some of us are desperate to see our children or grandchildren walk with God and they're not. And the reality is sometimes people that are desperate do really destructive things. For example, I read the story about a, a man who, who needed some surgery and he had no insurance and he had no money. And so he became so desperate that he robbed a bank and then waited outside the door for the police to come get him because he knew that in prison they would have to take care of his medical problem. He was that desperate. I read another story about a, a woman who wanted to be a mother so bad and for some reason was unable to conceive what she wanted a baby so bad that she stole someone's baby. Desperate. Some folks even do things such as in their life. They become so desperate. See, desperation is an emotion that gets connected to becoming hopeless or giving up or becoming numb. And some of us, we just try to quiet as, as if it doesn't exist but I think you have to recognize that emotion you have to recognize that you're there that it that it's something that has to be dealt with but now here is what I believe is the good news because of Jesus Des you may not be able to stop those times where you're either feeling desperate or approaching desperate desperation 
But you can actually choose whether the desperation produces a positive or a negative result in your life. It's possible to do that. Bartimaeus is an example of desperation that actually resulted in his doing something that absolutely changed his life for the better. And so I want to kind of give you what I call life, life lessons. These are lessons for me. They're probably others for you. The Holy Spirit speaks to everybody, not just the teacher. But these are two that occurred to me. Um, and I didn't put them in your notes. I'm sorry. But the first one is this. Desperation can lead to, lead to positive life change just like Bartimaeus. It can. It's possible for positive change to come out of desperation. And let me give you an example. I, I thought of three times in my own life that I've been desperate. And God made something wonderful out of it. The first one was when I was 37. I'm 71, so that'll tell you it's a long time ago. It, when I was 37, I was preparing for my 20-year high school reunion. And I was bald and fat. In high school, I wasn't bald. And I was skinny. I bet I weighed 100 pounds in high school. You know, I even won some award one time called the cutest. But I was bald and fat. And I was getting ready to go back. And I didn't have any hair and stuff like that. And so I was so desperate to look better than I looked. Bless her heart, George told me I looked great. But she's lied to me before about that. Um, <laughs> She said, you look great to me, babe. I said, well, that's really what matters. But I really want to look good for my friends. And so I started running. And I began running to lose weight. Now, I couldn't do anything about the hair. But I started running to lose weight. And I, and I actually, out of desperation, started running. And I, and I ran from the time I was 37 till the time I was 67. And that's actually the health that I got from running and eating well and all those kind of things that came as a product of desperation you see how desperation can actually produce something positive like that but one that is probably a deeper and more profound re positive result of desperation was the day I became a Christian the day I became what we Baptists love to call got saved was born again trusted Jesus you see, on, there was a long time, I was, I was raised as a boy in the church. My dad was career military, and so they took me to a military chapel. Every Saturday morning, we went to chapel, and because my dad was a Methodist, we had confirmation classes, and I went through confirmation classes, and they had a moment where they, you know, uh, he knows all the answers, and I knew the answers to the questions were either Jesus, love, or God, one of the three. You know, to every question. So I passed and they said, officially, you're one of us. Click, boom. That sort of a thing. You know, so I just became a religious person and tried to live that way until I became a teenager. And then I just forsook all of the teachings of God. And my mom and dad divorced. And I walked way far away from God and just turned everything uh, contrary. It's like if Jesus said, do it, I, I did it the other way. It was that kind of a thing. And one day I was in a hospital and somebody had brought me a book, a good friend of mine who was a Gideon. And he brought me a book called uh, The Lake. Not, uh, he brought me a book, uh, How to Be a Christian Without Being Religious. And so I, I thanked him for it, you know, and I didn't really want to read it. I had no intention of reading it. But I read through it, and then I said, wait a minute. And then I reached down and got the Bible. And, and God showed me something. I, I, I believed at that time that the way, you were, the way you went to heaven or the way that you were made right with God was by doing good stuff. You know, you had to live a moral life. You had to, uh, you know, help, help the poor. You had to go to church. You had to quit cussing, smoking, dancing, chewing, whatever it is that you thought. You, I mean, in other words, you had to live a certain way. Which, if you really kind of look at that, that is the default human nature of the human heart, is to earn our salvation. That is, you're saved by what you do. And see, that's what I thought all the way up until the time I read that book. And I'm reading through that book. And the book pretty much said, uh, this is my translation, you don't have a snowball in hell's chance of ever being good enough to have a relationship with the perfect holy God. And you might as well give up on heaven. Because you've already done enough in the past that'll keep you out. So, 
You're desperate, Jack. <laughs> That's when I pulled out of the nightstand the Gideon Bible. And I started reading through there and I realized something. It's, it's like, a, call it an epiphany if you want to. It was the Lord God saying, it is not what you do, it is what Jesus has done. You're not saved by anything you do, you're saved by what he has done. And, and so I'm going, well, now what do I have to do? And it's like the Lord, my grandmother used to hold my face to make me listen to her. And it's like Jesus held my face and said, you idiot, shut up and listen. It's what Jesus has done. And I realized in my desperation that my only hope was Jesus. And so I repented of my sin. And I'm not, I didn't just repent of my sin. I repented of trying to earn my salvation. And I, and I said, Lord, I trust what you have done. My faith is in what Jesus has done. When I, when I do funerals, uh, and I seem to be doing more these days than I used to, but I tell people, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? I would grab the robe of Jesus and say, I'm with him. No other reason to let me in. I'm with him. That was a moment where my salvation came in a moment of desperation. Kurt's opinion, I think this where there, that's why there's a lot of people that have not trusted Jesus because they haven't got to the place of desperation yet. They're still trying to save themselves, help themselves. They're thinking words like, if it's to be, it's up to me. And God is saying, well, I'm right here. And whenever you get to the end of the plate where you're trusting in yourself, trust me, I'm here. And I did that. And desperation was resulted in my salvation. But there's one other place. And this was after I got saved. This was actually when I was pastoring this church. And it was when I, I became desperate to become more like Jesus. Now you're going to say, what? See, I think it's possible to be a member of a, a wonderful church like River Bluff and to be quite content with participating in worship, raising your hands in praise songs, reading your Bible, praying, maybe even leading a couple of people to Jesus, helping out over at Low Country Cares or or some, you know, being a mentor. You're doing good works and good deeds and everything. And you're going to church and, and, you're, and you're, you're trying to live a good moral life. But it has never occurred to you that the good and beautiful life that Jesus offers is available to anyone. I was so hungry, not just to be a good person. But I became hungry to be more like Jesus. Does that make sense? I mean, do, do you see the, the distinction? There's, there's a, a big difference. You know, there, there are plenty of wonderful people who I will see in heaven that are born again, that they place their faith in Jesus. They became desperate. They, they trusted, they're trusting in nothing but Jesus for eternity, but they're not trusting Jesus to cultivate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. They're just content with I'm not, I'm doing what's called, Dallas Willard calls it, sin management. They live in a constant cycle of commit, sin, regret, confess, repent, rededicate, walk with Jesus, commit, sin, walk. Do you see the cycle? And it's like, it's what we're thinking is the best I can hope for is that I'll just manage these sins until Jesus takes me home. But I want to tell you, the best you can hope for is Christ-likeness. Romans chapter 8 verse 29 says that this is God's plan for you, that you would be conformed to the image of your Lord Jesus. Do you know that's God's plan? It's not just to take you to heaven. 
but to conform you to the image of his son. Now, he's not going to make you exactly like Jesus. You're a person. You're a fallen, saved person. You're not Jesus. You're not going to be Jesus. But you can cultivate Christ-like characters in your life. Christ-like qualities. You can take captive unto obedience of Jesus every thought that is wrong. Whenever you are tempted with sin, because the Holy Spirit of God lives in you, you can be tempted with a sin. Let's say it's a sin of greed. And the Holy Spirit will show you there is another alternative. It's called generosity. When you're tempted with lust, the Holy Spirit can show you there's another possibility. How about love? When you're tempted with adultery, how about the Holy Spirit shows you how about faithfulness? When you're tempted with the sin that says, I'm going to look out for me, the Holy Spirit will say, look out for others. See, that's what the Lord does. And most of us have really come to the place where we don't believe that kind of life is possible. Now, you will never be perfect, but you can be more than you are. You will never be exactly like Jesus, but you can cultivate kindness. You can cultivate gentleness. I think I told you one of the ways I tried to develop patience was by getting in the, in the line that had the most cars at the red light. And I, would, I was particularly challenged whenever there were two tractor-trailer trucks in that line. Sometimes I would put myself over there in that line. Why? Because I'm a masochist or whatever they call it, sadist, whatever. No, the reason I went over there was to teach me patience. Because I want to be more patient. You see, whenever God showed me in my desperation that I could live a life that was the good and beautiful life Jesus led, that I could live a better life, that I could be more of a blessing to others, that I could live a life characterized by love, whenever he showed me that was possible, I began to say, yes, I want that. I want that. I'm desperate for that. How do I get it, Lord? The Lord led me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You know what that word discipline is in, in Greek? It's the word gymnazo. We get our word gymnasium from it. It literally means to train. So, Lord Jesus, train me to be more like you. So that when I repent of sin, I'm not just seeking forgiveness. I'm seeking transformation. When you show me something that I need to get out of my life, keep me from trying to defend it and protect it and keep it. Help me to see how ugly it is and get it out of my life. Because I want to walk with you. I'm hungry. I'm desperate for you, Lord Jesus. And it is in those moments, I think, that Jesus stops and says bring him to me bring him to me and it's in those moments that I go and I say yes yes here am I Lord here am I transform me we're familiar with saying here am I send me how about here am I transform me Make me what you want me to be. That's the prayer of David in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit, O God. Do your work in me. So what do you do when you reach those moments of desperation? Now, if you've never come to the place of desperation in order to trust Jesus for your salvation, for your, your relationship with God, perhaps today should be the day you need to ask yourself, am I trusting my behavior for my relationship with God? Am I trusting that I can be good enough, that I can manage my sins, and that, that uh, you know, maybe, just maybe he'll let me, is that, if that's what you're trusting, I am praying for you to become desperate. So you realize that you don't have that snowball in hell's chance I talked about. If you don't know Christ, I'm praying that you will say, Lord Jesus, I have no hope at all unless you save me. And Jesus says, done. Here you go. If you are a, a Christian that's been walking with the Lord for a while, my prayer for you is that you would grow hungry and maybe even desperate for the good and beautiful life that Jesus offers 
rather than simply sin management rather than simply trying to be good you're not trying to be good to earn a place in heaven you got that because of Jesus but somehow you think that all the Christian life is is just managing your sin saying you're sorry trying hard not to do it again rather than replacing behaviors with good and godly behaviors that Jesus taught you learning to live as Jesus would live if he were you maybe I'm praying for you to be so desperate that you want that so badly that you're going to pray for it. You're going to ask for it. And you're going to arrange your life to make it possible. Now, when you ask Jesus to change your life, I don't think you need to bring suggestions to Him of how He can do it. You understand what I'm saying? You know, sometimes when you're desperate, like when you're desperate for a job, you're praying, Oh, Lord God, I, have, I need a job. And I had that interview over at Bosch, and, I know, and there were three guys there, and I knew two of them, but they're friends of mine. But would you give me that job? That's not the way to pray about it. It's, Oh, Lord, I need a job, period. That's where you stop. Don't get too specific in there, because the reality is you don't have the view from 10,000 feet. You don't know what would be best for your life. Not really. I mean, you, you, you probably have what you think. But see, we only look at it in terms of what's best for me. Rather than what is best for the kingdom of God. What is best for humanity. You see, we are the salt and light sent into humanity. So it matters what you do with your life. It matters how God answers. But don't tell him how he needs to answer. I remember uh, my dad, my dad was a veteran of World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. Came home and was uh, in a car accident, was paralyzed from the neck down. And um, he was, when, it, when the car crashed, he tried to sit up, but he couldn't because his, his spine was injured. And he was um, unable to move. And so he could, you know, he was desperate, wondering, what am I going to do? Eventually, uh, another car stopped. They took him to the hospital in, uh, at Fort Gordon, Georgia, and all of that. And my dad was paralyzed from the neck down for several years, uh, unable to move. Eventually, he could move from here to that door, but it would take him maybe 30 minutes to get there. But then whenever he could do that, he eventually developed cancer. Uh, he, when he was young in, in World War II, he started smoking Chesterfields, a cigarette that had no filter on it, and, uh, and he got lung cancer. You know, uh, you know, it's really what's, I love my view because I can see these guys smiling. They're going, yeah, I had a couple of those myself. You know, that, um, but dad got cancer and so, so they, uh, they tried to treat it and everything. And, uh, and eventually, eventually dad, dad passed away. He was only 55 uh, when he died. So, so three wars couldn't kill him, but this uh, cancer did, you know. But uh, the thing I remember was before, we knew he was dying like in the last couple of weeks and everything because he was very emaciated and just uh, fragile couldn't we had to carry him around and and all of that sort of stuff so um, I was I was praying for his healing now I've been journaling for probably 30 or 40 years and I journal what you know what I get from the scripture and I journal but I journal my thoughts and my prayers for my dad and uh, one of the prayers I prayed oh Lord please heal my dad I'm asking for miraculous healing for my dad. And I was praying that regularly, you know, I just, all the time. I mean, more than once during the day and praying all of that. Uh, and, and dad died. And at the wake that was going on, they, you know, uh, they live in rural, rural Georgia. So everybody came to the house for the wake. Um, and there were a lot of people there. And there was an older preacher there that was, I think, my one of my dad's former pastors. Um, and he came over and he said, son, are you all right? I was like maybe 34, 35. He said, son, are you all right? And I said, yeah, I'm okay. And he said, well, you know, uh, I guess he had studied body language. He knows what that means, you know. And uh, he said, no, are you really? Are you all right? And I said, well, because I knew who he was. I mean, I knew he was one of the former dads. Former. And I said, well, I'm, I'm a bit angry. He said, well, what are you angry about, son? I said, well, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for my dad to be healed. And God did not heal him. 
And this, this was an older pastor, uh, one of those that they say are wise. By the way, not all of us are wise. But this was, a, this was an in, genuinely wise older pastor. He said, well, son, he said, uh, you're kind of short-sighted there. He said, you were praying for temporary healing for your dad so you could enjoy him. God decided to give him permanent healing in the presence of absolute total love where he walks with Jesus. And you really think the best thing for your dad was to be able to see you a few more times? It was a completely different perspective. I never had thought about that. And may I say to you that there are several people now in North, Je North Georgia who walk with Jesus because of the way my dad lived and even more than that, the way he died. You see, so if your prayers, if your desperation, you're giving God, here's what I need. And God says, no, let's do this. You've got to trust the goodness of God in his answer. God is good all the time. And God has a perspective on your request that you don't have. So especially when you're desperate, don't be bringing to him the solution you think is best for him. That's one of the most wonderful times in the world to say the prayer that we just prayed. May your kingdom come and may your will be done in me as it is in heaven. May your kingdom come and may your will be done in my family. And if the Lord decides that you're going to go the route that he told his only son, when Jesus prayed, Lord, if it be possible, nevertheless, not my will but thine. The way of suffering often is the way of God. But never doubt the goodness of God. Never doubt the purposes of God. God is faithful. I, um, I'm an overseer for a church called Seacoast. And at de the dedication of their new facility, we sang a song there, Kyler. I, I was trying to find it, but I, I couldn't. But here's what I remember. And I've been singing it over and over again. My, my grandkids, by the way, Heather and Jimmy and little Jimmy and Ellie are now living in my house. They're right over there. Well, they're, yeah. For those that, uh, that don't know, that's, the, uh, that's retired Colonel uh, Jimmy Tyson, who will now be the uh, ROTC commander at Berkeley High School. You know, and uh, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah, yeah. And so uh, they're in my house. You pray they'll find a place soon. And they have a dog. Yeah, they have a dog with an anemic bark. Just, I just chased the heck out of a rabbit, didn't I? I forgot completely where. I, but anyway, that, the song, my point was, they've heard this song over and over. Because here's, here's the chorus. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Whether you are frustrated, desperate, happy, sad, whatever, sing of the goodness and the faithfulness and the love of God. Would you pray with me? It's entirely possible that you're maybe desperate here today. So uh, I pray for you, really. I pray that you will ramp up your trust in the goodness of God. Bring your desperation to Jesus, please. And then search out his answer in his word and through his spirit or perhaps in biblical community. Father, I, I pray, I know there are desperate people maybe here today about different subjects, but... Some are desperate looking for an answer from you and some are, are desperate that you'll give them a different answer. So I pray for them and I ask that you'll give them a holy hug with, from within, Lord, and remind them that you are faithful 
and that you, your eternal and abiding love is, is in them. Please remind them that you're good and that all of your ways are good. And those, Lord, that are desperate for genuine life change and maybe more than just simply managing their sins, I, I pray that they will hunger and even long for transformation from within. And for God, for those who maybe have not yet come to the point of desperation and trusting you as Savior, you showed me the words this morning, Lord, to one of the songs we're singing. It says, how great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. And then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished. The end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin, to bear my shame. The cross is spoken. I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Oh God, make this truth become just so much a part of our lives that it permeates our every existence. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.